Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us. God bless you for taking the time to spend with us in this beautiful day here in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. We're coming to you live with the full shrine uh, on the very special day, John Paul II. <clears throat> now, I have done very little on John Paul. I did a EWTN show and an Ask a Marian long, long time ago, and those were only about eight minutes long. So I've really never had a chance to fully explain to the world and my opinion of how great this man is. So uh, we're going to ask you to join us at home. We'll be showing some slides. Uh, we'll be showing some a quick video clip. If you're here with us in the shrine on your cell phone, you can join us. Um, we have these slides that we'll be talking about the life of John Paul. We ask that you keep the volume down, though, so we can all hear. But let us begin with a prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you send the Holy Spirit down upon us through the intercession of St. John Paul II, St. Faustina, Mary, and all the saints, and through the passion, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, we ask that you shower divine mercy, this message that John Paul helped bring to the world, and we ask all this through Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, it's an honor to have all of you, especially here personally with us, and for all of you joining us. You know, as you saw on the, um, on the, uh, on the slide, this is an amazing story, John Paul, okay? And we're going to talk about that today. You know, he was born, let's look at our next slide. This is cutest little baby picture. He had these little chubby cheeks. Um, he was always such an appealing looking um, man, even growing up and when he was older. Uh, he was born Carol Wojtyla, you all probably all know that, in 1920. In Wadowice, which is a town in Poland, um, and his mom died when he was very little, before even taking his first making his first communion. And what did he do? He immediately knew Mary was to step into that role of his mother. So let's look at our next slide. That's a picture, beautiful picture of his parents. And so he was raised then after his mom passed by his father, who was kind of this old school, this gentleman of retired military officer type, deep piety, still discipline, uh, the kind of parent that, that really raises a child like John Paul. Beautiful. So now Carol was the best student. All right. He was an athlete. He was an actor. He loves sports. So that's kind of my excuse. Right. Um, but after his mom died, they moved to Krakow uh, with his father. This is in Poland now. And he entered university. Um, brilliant. Um, student, but that was all cut short, as was his acting career because of World War II. So you probably know this, right? Now, he worked then during World War II in the quarry. He was a blaster, a manual laborer, and he often walked four, you know, you ever hear that? When I was a boy, I walked four miles up a hill in the driving rain and the freezing snow. Actually, it's true with John Paul. <laughs> he did walk four miles in not just the freezing rain, but the blistering snow, and he would smear Vaseline all over his face just to prevent frostbite. I mean, can you imagine? And, and, and today we get, we get upset when we got to walk an extra 100 feet to the 
parking lot, you know, in the parking lot. So this was quite an example. Uh, let's look at our next slide. I love this picture. Doesn't it look like Marlon Brando? He's he's got that that just that actor look. Um, you know um, what happened was um, it. it, it you know, at risk of his own life. And this is when he was an actor. That picture on your screen is when he was an actor. But risking his own life, he organized a Polish resistance to save Polish culture based on the word of God. This is amazing. And they proclaimed the word of God in an underground theater in Poland. So in this underground theater... He kept alive his love for acting, his love for the word of God. And he didn't worry. He didn't, he knew he was put his life at risk, especially with Nazi occupation. So anyway, um, his dad died. Um, and then in the wake of the Warsaw uprising, that's where the young men in Warsaw raised up against the Nazi occupiers. The Nazis said, you know what? We're not going to let this happen in Krakow. Some people say Krakow. It happened in Warsaw. All the young men there rose up and they caused a lot of scuffling and skirmishes and some soldiers got killed. A lot of, a lot of uh, uh, civilians got killed. We're not going to let that happen in Krakow. And so John Paul II, they came and they arrested all these young men in Krakow. Well, that's where John Paul was. So there are stories about him dodging the Gestapo patrols, getting across town. He, he hid behind the door in one home where the Nazis came in. Can you imagine? I can't even imagine that fear of hiding behind a door when the Nazis are coming into the house. And so um, anyone, they were arresting these guys. He's making his way across the town and he entered into the bishop's residence. How crazy is this? Talk about entering the right door. So he goes in the bishop's residence. He ended up entering the monastery or the seminary clandestinely, meaning kind of undercover. And so he ended up studying philosophy and theology. But what a lot of people don't know, he was more a philosopher than a the theologian. And you know what makes the Catholic priests so unique? We're the only one. You can go to any of these other faiths. And Pastor Jim and all those great people, they love God. I, I don't doubt that. But only the Catholic priest is strenuously educated in both philosophy and theology. The others are just theology. But the Catholic Church educates in philosophy. All our guys, you see serving here, Philip and Alex and, and, and everybody else, you, 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 you get in the Catholic priesthood first the study of philosophy. What's philosophy? It's the study of man. Then you get into theology, the study of God. All the others just jump right into theology. You can't understand theology. You can't understand what God's plan is for man if you haven't studied man. And so philosophy, things like metaphysics, the study of being, the uh, epistemology, the study of knowledge... This is why I do these talks, because when I learned all that in seminary, when I learned in seminary philosophy before I ever entered theology, I was like, this is incredible. 
to understand how man thinks, to understand how man is alive, to understand the soul, the metaphysics and the being. I was like, we got to share this with, with the laity. The laity doesn't know this. You got to go to, you got to go to eight years of seminary, four years undergrad, and then four years of major theology to get this. I'm like, uh, uh, we got to bring this to the whole world. That's why I'm doing these talks to take you to seminary with me. And so we, I, we say that, that seminary was the best time of my life. And it's like, I love seminary. I, it was the best time of my life. And so I said, you know, what? I wish I could, if I could do one thing, I wish I could go back to seminary. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I want to go back to seminary, but I'm going to take everybody with me. So this is what we're doing in these talks. And so anyway, he studied philosophy and theology, but he was more a philosopher than he was a theologian. And he earned two doctoral degrees Two PhDs in philosophy and theology. This guy had it all, right? And so let's look. Um, well, before I start to the next slide, um, he would study in the dim light of the chemical factory all night, where he worked the midnight shift and then schooled during the day, both as a student and as a teacher. But yet he would study all night. You know, it's kind of funny because it reminds me. I'll show you the next slide. This is my dad. This is my dad. This is a picture of my dad in Vietnam. It reminds me of my dad because you know what my dad did when he went to, he, he went right out of high school into, into the Marine Corps and he, he went to Vietnam and when he got out, he decided he wanted to go to college, even though they didn't have the GI Bill then. He had to pay his way. Just think a Vietnam vet he had to pay his own way. So he would go to school during the day and take a full load of college courses and then come home, woofed out a meal, and then go to work at Fisher Body, the Detroit auto industry plants. And he said it was amazing because he could get a workout, have a job, and study all at the same time. He would put a book of one class. This is almost genius. He would put a book of one class at the end of one line. His job was to haul 100-pound car doors all night. They, they didn't have the automation like they do today. And he would haul these 100-pound car doors by hand. So he would take the car doors as he walked and said about 100 feet, and he would do workouts with the car doors. <laughs> then he would get to the end of the line. He'd run, and then he'd lay it down, and he'd read a paragraph in one class. Then he'd pick up the work. He'd run back to the other end of the line doing his exercises, and he'd read a paragraph from a book of another class. And he did this for four years. It's like, wow. That's amazing. Well, that's what my dad's little example of John Paul II, because he did the same thing. So this is powerful stuff. And people who have devotion and want to succeed, this is the beauty of freedom. This is what is being threatened. We don't want to be taken away. So anyway, he was one of, he became an intellectual leader. He was an intellectual leader. He made a lot of critical contributions at, at Vatican II, which I'm going to do another talk later. Still a lot of controversy about Vatican II. How are we to understand it? How was it implemented? Was it good? Was it rotten? What was, what's the core of it? I'll be doing a talk later on Vatican II. Now, ironically, he was made archbishop of Krakow when he was only 47 years old with the support of the communist government. The communists at first supported him. 
Now, as Archbishop, he conducted um, a lot of implementation of the, v of the Vatican II uh, in his diocese, but he refused to behave as a normal cardinal. And I kind of I smile here. He's shocked the cardinalette, right? Why? Well, he went skiing. He'd go kayaking. He would go hiking. And he vacationed with the laity. <gasps> that was a shocker. Clericalism, you didn't associate with the laity. He busted all those barriers, just like Jesus did in traveling with women. And so, so this is the kind of guy he was. Now, he was a working intellectual, but he continued to teach at the Catholic University of Lublin. All right. And he spends two hours a day in his chapel and he would write. He brought in a desk before the Blessed Sacrament. So he would do his writing. You, you can read whenever you read any of his writings, you can know he actually wrote it before the Blessed Sacrament. Really powerful. So let's take a look at our next slide. He was elected the 264th Pope. Anybody remember the date? 1978. Now, he was only 58 years old. He was born in 1920. Now, I always thought, wow, he looked a lot older. But he had that beautiful grandpa kind of face. And so, um, anyway, he was elected Pope at 58, the first non-Italian in almost 500 years, right? And he was the first Slavic Pope. I'm Slavic. I'm Czechoslovakian on my mom's side. I'm Yugos or, um, a Croatian on my dad's side. And so I'm full-blooded Slavic. He was the first Slav ever to be Pope. And a lot of people always talk, rightfully so, about Hitler killing the Jews in... And it's right that we bring this up and we don't forget it. But do you know Hitler killed more Slavs and Catholics than Jews? Unbelievable. His attack on the Slavic people and the Catholics was... And it depends on how you total the numbers. But it, it, there was persecution. All right, so you all remember that KGB leader? I was just a kid, but Yuri Andropov. Yuri Andropov was the KGB leader when, um, when, when John Paul was elected. He was the head of the uh, Politburo, and he warned, he said, we're in big trouble. There are big troubles ahead with this guy, John Paul II. So this is, let's look at our next slide. So this is seen when he went back to his homeland of Poland in 1979. And they, they, it, set, it set in motion a revolution. And look at that slide. If you want to see a great movie, Nine Days That Changed the World. Nine Days That Changed the World. So this revolution started just because of John Paul's visit to Poland. And we'll talk about that more. And it's funny because all the students there skip school and follow John Paul. You know who was at the heart of it? One of the revolutionaries? Let's look at our next slide. Father Kaz. <laughs> I love this picture. We just discovered this picture in the archives last week. Isn't that picture of Father Kaz awesome? Look at the mustache. He looks like Magnum P.I. And so Father Kaz was one of the students at the heart of this. And so they would go around, they skipped school, they followed him around Poland chanting, we want God, we want God. How fascinating. At our colleges today, God will not be allowed, God will not be allowed. 
These students were chanting, we want God. And there was Father Kaz in the middle. I just did a talk, so I won't spend much time on Reagan, but I, we just posted a video on our YouTube channel, the same channel you're watching on Thursday, called A Pope and a President. And it was about how John Paul worked with Ronald Reagan to, to bring down um, communism. And in that, we show um, the crowds, and, and I showed the picture of Father Kaz, and it said Ronald Reagan was so moved, he was so moved by these students in Poland saying, we want God, that he, he formed an alliance with John Paul. So I said in that video, if you haven't seen it, you can see it, I said, I wonder if he saw Father Kaz. <laughs> and so this is what was happening now. All right, so this led, let's look at our next slide, to a nonviolent revolution um, in Poland. And eventually, by 1989, the collapse of European communism and really the end of the Soviet Union, shortly after the Berlin Wall fell, right? All this with the help of Ronald Reagan. And fascinating story if you haven't read the book, A Pope and a President. So anyway, I'll leave it at that. Now, on the next slide, he became the most traveled pope in history. Look at that scene. God bless the Filipinos. That picture is five million Filipinos gathering together in Manila. One of the greatest gatherings in human history. Not the biggest. Believe it or not, the biggest was some Buddhists. Um, but this is one of the biggest in human history. And five million people gathered in Manila to see John Paul. Fascinating. And so let's talk about this because he perseveres. He becomes loved. He has all his demands on him. He was called the man of the 20th century. The man of the 20th century. And so really, in a way, he had one of the most important pontificates in centuries, especially since the revolution, if not in all of history. That's amazing. And so let's, let's go in deeper here because in one of the other videos I did, I said, be, and this was on EWTN. So if you haven't seen our EWTN show, which we did on Wednesday, um, you can also see it on our YouTube channel now as well. It's called Living Divine Mercy. And I just did about an eight minute talk on John Paul. But we had some clips and some readings from the Bible that talk about the kind of life John Paul was. Well, anyway... I said in that show, before talking about all his accomplishments, we really should start with the fact that he was an incredible man of prayer, right? A saint, all right? And so this is why we should try to imitate him. You know, according to his press secretary, um, his holy hour in the morning, he said, always was his best part of the day. That's before all the meetings began, right? And visitors who would come to join him for mass said that they would always find him kneeling in prayer. And, and I'm like, oh, wow, I can learn from this because it seems like Father Kaz and I are always running with the wind trying to get to Mass on time. And it's like, John Paul, how could you get busier than him? And he was always kneeling in prayer before Mass. What a lesson. Uh, a lot of people described him that he looked like he was speaking with somebody invisible. And we'll, we'll talk about why that was in a minute. But his f best friend, Cardinal Jeevich, um, was told, I, I love this story, so I want to throw this in there. His, his, his secretary for 40 years was also Polish, named Cardinal Jeevich, and we'll show you a picture of him in a minute. And Ronald, or uh, and somebody has our cell phones on, if we could turn the volumes down, please, on our cell phone. But... 
John Paul gave Cardinal Jeevich a strict warning. I am not to be disturbed when I go into prayer in the chapel, except if Ronald Reagan is on the phone. <laughs> except if Ronald Reagan is on the phone. So the story goes as it was told to us, and I'm just going by how it was told to us, that Cardinal Jeevich would not disturb John Paul. Well, guess what? One day, Ronald Reagan was on the phone. So Cardinal Jeevich thought about it. It's like, okay, I was told not to disturb him, but Ronald Reagan's on the phone. So Cardinal Jeevich went into the back of the chapel. Now, John Paul didn't know he had come in. John Paul was there by himself, did not know that Cardinal Jeevich came in. So Cardinal Jeevich comes in the back, as the story goes, supposedly told by Cardinal Jeevich. And he walked in to the chapel as John Paul was having a conversation with God. Can you even imagine? And he said he was just dumbfounded because John Paul was actually conversing. Yes, Lord, I understand. I mean, could you imagine God is giving you firsthand directions? I mean, I, I laughed at that other video. I said, why doesn't God do that for me? Why doesn't God say, now do this with cameraman Giuseppe and do this? And, and, and so I could just imagine walking in on that as John Paul is, is literally engaging in a conversation with God. I, I mean, that's amazing. The humbleness of this man, not to even mention that. And yet he was being guided incredible and so we become an understanding that this cardinal and this is a picture uh, let's look at our next slide this is john paul um you know and said um that that cardinal jeevich said that he would pray for up to an hour in a trance without moving a millimeter it was like he was comatose that's engaged prayer and he believed every counter with a human being was providential. Even if you just bump up to him in a grocery store line, he said he would pray for them. He says, as soon as I meet people, I pray for them. Do we do that? Sometimes when he would come from deep prayer, instead of seeming refreshed, it said that he would seem preoccupied or agitated or burdened with something. And others didn't know why. Was he a prophet? Well, listen to this one example. There are many examples. One time they were up on the mountains because he loved to hike, and the witnesses reported that all of a sudden he was enjoying the day, and all of a sudden he got very shaken, very upset, and became very concerned. And he immediately said, we have to get off the mountain. I have to go down to my lodging. He didn't say a word. He didn't say why. And they immediately got him down from the mountain. He went immediately into his lodging, and it was just announced of the Iraq war and the invasion of Kuwait. At that exact moment, the Gulf War began. Again, did God talk to him? So anyway, prayer was the rhythm of his life. This was a life centered on the Eucharist. To him, it's not enough that Catholics receive the Eucharist. We kind of just receive it, right? And then we go about our day. No, he said, you must contemplate it. 
All right. His greatest joy in the whole world wasn't meeting with Reagan, wasn't meeting with world leaders or, or having great dinners. His biggest joy was celebrating mass. Is it for us? If a person, he said, is unable to receive the Eucharist, he recommended that you make a spiritual communion. That's why we do that at the end of every Mass here at the Shrine. Um, taking a moment to invite Jesus into your heart, thanking him. What is the meaning of the word Eucharist? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. And so thank him. He prayed before and after every meal. I always pray before meals, always. But you know, I forget more often than not to pray after meals. He prayed after meals. He prayed the divine office, which we priests have to pray five times a day. He prayed the Angelus at 6 a.m., noon, and 6 p.m. Wherever he was, no matter what he was doing, he would stop and pray the Angelus. He prayed several rosaries a day, went to confession once a week. <clears throat> <laughs> Enough said on that one. Um, he received, of course, the daily Eucharist, right? Each Friday for the whole year and every day in Lent, he walked the Stations of the Cross, which Jesus told St. Faustina is the most powerful prayer we could actually make is the Stations of the Cross. Why? Because you're meditating on his passion. And if you can't do that, pray the chaplet. During Lent, he only ate one meal a day and he always fasted on the eve of Our Lady's feast days. So think of doing all this with all the duties that he had. All the administrative duties, all of the pastoral duties, and, you know, even in the middle of all this work, he would stop and pray. This is awesome. So each night, it's reported that he would, before he would go to bed, he would open up the window there over the um, Vatican in the, in the St. Peter's Square, and he would bless the world good night. Wow. I started thinking, I, I, I want to do that with our province and with our Marian helpers. And bless you all, good night. So I'm learning so much. And I learned a lot of this in seminary. But I went back working with Chris Sparks and others and, and learning a lot more. That's what I'm sharing with you tonight. So he seldom went to bed before midnight. That's another one that I, I smile. I never get to bed before midnight. And then he did more than I did, though. He would sleep on the bare floor. Okay, I did that during novitiate. I haven't done it in years. But he slept on the bare floor and how he would conceal that. He didn't want people knowing, so he would crumple his bed sheets. And his housekeeper squealed on him. And she said she knew he slept on the floor, but he would crumple the bed sheets to make it look like he slept in the bed so that nobody would know. It's kind of like Jesus when he told the people, don't tell anybody. And they all ran off and told everybody. So... He lived on only a few hours of sleep a night. And witnesses reported that he spent hours at a time and sometimes the entire night prostrate on the marble floor before the tabernacle with his arms outstretched in the shape of a cross, laying flat down on the floor, arms stretched out in the shape of a cross and would spend sometimes all entire night that way. And um, one witness remarked that this union that he had with our Lord in the Eucharist allowed him not merely to speak to Christ. I think that's what most of us do. When we go into prayer, 
we talk to Jesus, and that's good. That's the start. That's beautiful. Don't ever let anybody discourage you, even, even if that's all you do. But John Paul took it to another level. He would actually converse with God. And that's if we have silence. We're not going to hear our Lord speak unless we are silent. If we're doing all the talking, okay, if we're doing all the talking, we got to be careful. Brother Mark and I were editing one of the EWTN shows. We had a great guest, Daniel O'Connor. And I was so excited to have him on the show. We were talking about Catholic View at End Times. It'll be airing starting November 2nd. And we watched it, and I was horrified. I was like, oh, my gosh. I didn't listen. I just, I did the talking. And Daniel O'Connor had so many beautiful things to say, and I'm the one doing the talking. I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's horrible. And that made me realize that's how we pray sometimes. We do all the talking. When are, what we need to do is sometimes stop and let God do the talking. And so I called Daniel O'Connor, like, Daniel, I am sorry. Like, you had so many great points, and I'm the one doing all the talking. I, I brought you on as the guest. And so it's a great lesson. And John Paul II was at the heart of this lesson. So anyway, he believed that authentic prayer is when a person desires to be as attentive to God as God is to us. So when we go into prayer, like, God, did you hear that? God, did you hear that? I need this, I need this, I need this. And he's like, Authentic prayer is when you, when you are as aware of God and being in his presence as he is aware of you. Wow. It's kind of like that show with Daniel O'Connor. I was like, it's like I was so excited to get so many points and I was like, this is horrible. And all I could sit there picture was this patient God listening to me in prayer. And it's like, no. Stop and let God do the talking. What a great lesson. And so when one yearns to hear God's voice, just as God yearns to hear our voice, when, when we yearn to hear God's voice like he yearns to hear our voice, we're on the right track. You know, he, this book, amazing book, Crossing the Threshold of Hope, John Paul II said, man achieves the fullness of prayer, not when he expresses himself, that's what we think it is. But when he lets God present himself. What a lesson. So for John Paul, the question was not whether Jesus was truly present in the Blessed Sacrament, but rather we Catholics, if we're truly present to God. And are we listening? For this reason, he spoke of adoration. He said, adoration is an important daily practice. Behind the mass, the next most important. One should not admit this in your day. He declared it the secret of his day. Wow. For John Paul, the key, he said, to rekindling Eucharistic love, Mary. You know why? He said, you know why Mary's the key? Because when we go into adoration, how do we adore our Lord? In the tabernacle. Now remember, I got a monstrance. We have a monstrance right here on the altar. And in a couple hours, we're going to expose our Lord in the monstrance. Right now, our Lord is in the tabernacle. When I see people come into adoration, if they don't see our Lord exposed, I've seen people turn around and leave. They think the grace isn't the same. 
The grace is the same whether or not our Lord is in the tabernacle or in the monstrance, because God is present. Now, John Paul II took that message of the importance of the tabernacle, said that's why we need Mary. You know why? Because he said Mary was the original tabernacle. That makes sense, doesn't it? How did Jesus come to earth? In the womb of Mary. You have God inside a tabernacle. God, the God-man, Jesus, is inside the tabernacle. Mary was the first tabernacle. Fascinating. So his aides noted that this is why he made all his major decisions on his knees before the Blessed Sacrament in the tabernacle. Wow. You know, he always made a short visit there before and after every meal. I, I, he really made me realize the importance of after meals. But I wolfed down the food and I'm out the door. And he prayed after the meal and he would visit the Blessed Sacrament after every meal. It's like, wow, I need to go back to that, Lord. He had an essence for, I want to tell you an amazing story that they told me when I was down um, at the seminary down in Baltimore. They said, when John Paul II came to the United States, you know how um, structured the organizers are, right? And, and they had John Paul on this literal structural visit where every minute was, was pre-planned so they could get him here, then they could get him there, then they could get him to the airport, then they could land and get him to this event. And so he came in with this big schedule at the, at the uh, United States, in the, one of the seminaries here in the U.S. in Baltimore. So he's walking down this main corridor and he stops and he says, do you have the Blessed Sacrament present? Now, the organizer knew this would throw everything off because as soon as he went before the Blessed Sacrament, school was out on the schedule. <laughs> so the organizer, and they actually, I won't list his name, but you can find it online. I was doing the research on this. They actually list his name, and, and he laughs about it now. And he told John Paul too, no. Because they didn't have time for him to stop for 15, 20 minutes in prayer before the Blessed Sacrament. I told him the whole schedule out. So John Paul looks at him and he proceeds down the list of the hallway with dozens of rooms. This is where the seminarians lived. And he's walking down through the, the thing and there's dozens of rooms. All the doors are closed. And John Paul's walking and just like our house in Washington, D.C., one of those rooms is a chapel. But all these doors were closed. And John Paul's walking down the door, or walking past all these doors, and all of a sudden he stops. And he stops, and he turns around, and he looks at the room. And the guy telling the story is like, uh-oh. <laughs> John Paul II opened the door, and there was the Blessed Sacrament. He had that kind of innate ability to know the presence of God. And the guy telling the story said, I felt this big because John Paul stopped and prayed before that blessed sacrament. Isn't that incredible? That's the kind of guy this was. So now, that's the kind of man of prayer he was. Let's talk about some of his achievements. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but they are amazing. You know, most of all, being a man of prayer, he also accomplished incredible things for the church. All right. Do you know he was the second longest serving pope in history? 
right? Uh, Of all the popes in our history, he was the second longest serving pope. Let's take a look at our next slide. This is a statue in Gdansk. Those are the shipyards in Poland where the revolution began, Solidarity Movement. That's him walking with Ronald Reagan. I believe that one is a model from a conversation they had in Florida. Well, anyway, he warned of the dangers of communism, not because of certain things, but mainly because of atheism. Because in communism, the state becomes God. All right. In in capitalism, we got to be careful, too, because the corporation can become God. And he said it's neither. He warned of this. And with Ronald Reagan, they began to have this silent revolution, this this nonviolent, this peaceful revolution. And so through his encyclicals, he insisted that we got to eliminate atheism that's enforcing it upon so many people. But he also insisted that democracy and the free economy are not just machines to run on their own either. All right, they don't run by themselves. They're only virtuous and just as the people who are running them. So here him and Reagan saw a mission. And you know when they were both shot six weeks apart in 1981? Can you imagine? They were both shot six weeks apart in 1981. And they both met after that and agreed that they were survived. Do you know the bullets traveled in their bodies? And miraculously, both of them should have died. Both Ronald Reagan, who was shot on March 30th, 1981, and John Paul II was shot six weeks later on May 13th, 1981, the anniversary of Fatima. And both of them, the doctors were baffled because the bullets appeared to change direction inside their bodies, spearing their life instead of hitting vital organs. And they met, and both of them agreed that their mission of God by God was to bring an end to atheistic communism and the Soviet Union, which it did fall, the Soviet Union. Now, communism is making a a comeback, and we got to be careful here. But, you know, I, I will add this. John Paul II, when he was shot, asked for two things when he went into the hospital. You may have heard me say this before. What two things did John Paul ask when he was in the hospital after he was shot? The third secret of Fatima, and guess what else? The diary of St. Faustina. Now, here's what's amazing that I just learned two nights ago when Brother Mark and me and Father Kaz were sitting in the office at 1 o'clock in the morning, and Father Kaz is going through all these documents. The guy's amazing. And he's going through all these documents, and he said... I said, isn't it amazing, Father Kaz? I'm I'm, I'm going to be doing this talk on John Paul, but the two things he asked for after he was shot was the diary, or was the third secret of Fatima and the diary of St. Faustina. And he says, you know where he got the diary? From the Marian fathers. From us. And you know where it was laid out? Right here in Stockbridge. And the diary was laid out, then printed, and he was given a special edition, a white leather-covered diary. The diary was not in print yet, because you know who was working on the diary? Father Kaz. This is amazing how the Marian fathers fit into this providential plan, and that's why you are with us. That's why you are a Marian helper. That is why you are part of the Marian family. Because we all have to spread this message, share these videos, tell our friends, our colleagues, our our church members about divine mercy. And so Father Kaz helped translate the diary, and Father Seraphim smuggled it out of Poland 
on microfiche, and Father Kaz helped translate it, and they put it together, and they just finished, guess when? February 22nd, 1981, the 50th anniversary of St. Faustina receiving the image of divine mercy. So they just finished it on February 22nd, 1981, and they just gave it to the Holy Father, and he shot. How prophetic that we Marian fathers put that diary together, Seraphim smuggles it out, Father Kaz translates it. I mean, for me to, to grow up in divine mercy with these two? <laughs> God, how could you be any greater to a priest? And so they get this, and John Paul has this diary. He gets shot, and what does he ask for? Bring me that diary the Marian fathers gave me. Phenomenal. And then after reading that, Cardinal Jeevich said it was after reading the third secret of Fatima and the diary of St. Faustina, that John Paul said, I now know my destiny. I now know why I was to be Pope. It was to bring divine mercy to the world. That was because of the Marians. I didn't even know this. I'm sitting at one o'clock in the morning on Wednesday night with Father Kaz in the office in dumbfounded, dumbfounded that we are part of this. You are too. Phenomena. And so this is what, what God gave through the message of divine mercy, and he chose John Paul to bring it to the world. So he did. He wrote his encyclicals um, talking about this. He focused on true, not false, ecumenism by engaging with the Orthodox, the Protestants. You know, even though they couldn't pray together because they, they don't believe the same things, he said people of different faiths could be together to pray. Sometimes the comments about John Paul's visit to Assisi, I get it. I don't, I, I don't think he did a smart thing. Now, I haven't actually seen the video. I don't know if this is totally true that he actually kissed the Quran. I've been told by hundreds of people that he did, so there must be something that happened. I've never seen it. But I do believe, personally believe, that he made a big mistake kissing the Quran, if he did, because it causes confusion. But know this. He did not support Islamic teaching, all right, which as Catholics we cannot do. His intent was one of living with our neighbors in peace, all right? It was not a statement of the truthfulness of the Quran. It was not. And so, you know, many, um, you know, many I think misunderstand that. I, I, again, I don't think it was prudent, but he was not a heretic, okay? All right, let's go on. Um, one of the big things people say that caused the beginning of the downfall of our culture was the sexual revolution. No accountability, sexual, the sacredness of sexual activity is turned into recreation. There's no accountability, destruction of the family, divorce rates. A lot of people point to the sexual revolution. Now, instead of pointing fingers and blaming it, you know what John Paul II did? His response, let's look at our next slide. He wrote the theology of the body. Instead of pointing fingers and condemning, he explained why the man is the man and the father, why the woman is the wife and, and, and the spouse. And so his response to this showed the beauty of marital love imitating the Trinity. And it goes back to Augustine, and he points this out. You've heard me say this. You know, right now we're trying to, Satan's trying to destroy the family. 
okay, and the church, the two bed pillars of society. Destroy the church, destroy the family. You have nothing upholding society. So John Paul II went in and he quoted Augustine, which is one of my favorite things from the church fathers of all time. The Trinity, how he explained it was so beautiful. Augustine and John Paul talked about this. In the Trinity, who is, who are the Trinity? And he would say, you have God the Father, okay? He's the lover. You have God the Son. He's the beloved. And the love between them is so great. Between the Father and the Son, that love is so great between them that from it comes a third person, the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit's not created, but he's actually called by Maximilian Kolbe the uncreated immaculate conception. This is why he's the spouse of Mary. Whoa. So now I'm sharing with you what I learned in seminary. I'm sitting in seminary classes. We are going over this God one and triune class. I'm ready to jump out of my seat like, why doesn't the world know this? So you have God, the father, the lover, you have the, the lover, you have God, the son, the beloved, and the love between them, the shared is so great that from it comes a third person, the Holy Spirit. Now our instructor said, but you know what Augustine said? He took it further. He said, who's the family? Who's the family? You have the husband, the lover, you have the wife, the beloved, and from that love, which is so great, comes a third person, the child. This is why the family is a mirror of the Trinity and you can't change it. This is why the child comes biologically. We're created now. God isn't gender, so we can't say, well, gee, the son was a man and God was a man. Father was a man. No, he's spirit. Now he became incarnate as a man. But in the family, he created us, man and woman. He created God, created the father, the husband, the lover, the wife, the beloved. That's why he's male. He gives the seed. He loves. It comes from him. Then the wife, she receives it. It's just like the church. This is why the priest is masculine. It's not sexism. The priest is masculine because from him comes the seed, just like from the father. That's why we call the priest father. But father says, it says not to call anybody father in the gospel. I, I could do a whole nother talk on that. But the, the husband is the father because he gives that seed. The wife receives it and in her womb. She nurtures it and gives life. So between the love between the father and the mother or the husband and the wife, it's so great. From it comes a third person from the seed of the father, the priest at the altar comes the life giving seed of the Eucharist who receives it. The church. What do we call the church? Mother. We call the church mother because she receives it and in it she gives birth to life. This is the whole meaning of the concept of our faith. And I'm sitting there in seminary going, why doesn't the world know this? If we knew this, the world would be a different place. And that's why I said then and there, I want to be able to teach this someday. And that's again why God has you here. So this whole thing is what John Paul II pointed out. And so very, very powerful. And so this was the theology of the body. Now he went beyond that and he did an even bolder project. 
the catechism of the Catholic Church. Let's look at our next slide. This is the catechism of the Catholic Church. He presented Catholic teaching instead of deep, ununderstandable material. He made it coherent and understandable. And you want to know anything about everything, go to the catechism. It's based on Scripture. Don't let anybody tell you it's not Scripture. It's based on Scripture. All of it is based on Scripture. And so through this, he, he answered the denial of objective truth and denial of doctrine and presented it in an easy to way to understand. Now, we're going to finish here with John Paul II and St. Faustina and Divine Mercy. But before we do, I'm going to show a little recap of a video. So I'm going to show a video on the screen. It's only two and a half minutes. It's going to show you the recap of the life of John Paul. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about Divine Mercy. So take a look. Carl Wojtyla, who became Pope John Paul II in 1978, was born in Wadowice, Poland on May 18, 1920. He made his first Holy Communion at nine years old and was confirmed at 19. As a university student, Carl was also enrolled in a drama school. Unfortunately, his education was never completed as Nazi occupation forced schools to close and he was sent to work in a quarry until moved to a chemical factory to avoid deportation to Germany. By 1942, he heard his calling to enter the priesthood, but the war interfered. It was not until after the conclusion of World War II that Karl was able to return to school where he studied theology. Karl Wojtyla was ordained to the priesthood on November 1, 1946. He was then sent to Rome where he finished his PhD studies in theology in 1948. He held doctorate degrees in both theology and philosophy. Wojtyla often engaged his pastoral ministry in France, Belgium, and Holland until his graduation when he returned to Poland and was named vicar of several parishes and chaplain for university students until 1951. Pope Pius XII appointed Wojtyla as auxiliary bishop of Krakow on July 4, 1958, and Paul VI made him Archbishop of Krakow on January 13, 1964, and later Cardinal on June 26, 1967. As a Cardinal, Wojtyla took part in Vatican II, contributing to the writing of the Pastoral Constitution on the Church in the Modern World. He participated in all assemblies of the Synods of Bishops. Since the beginning of his pontificate, on November 16, 1978, Pope Paul II completed 95 pastoral visits outside Italy and 142 within. And during his time as Bishop of Rome, he visited 301 of the 334 parishes. After surviving two assassination attempts, one of which severely injured him, Pope John Paul II suffered health problems during his final years. He was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease and his condition eventually led to troubled hearing and difficulty speaking more than a few sentences at a time. His health continued to rapidly decline until Saturday, April 2, 2005, when he spoke his final words in Polish, Allow me to depart to the house of the Father. He fell into a coma four hours later and passed away. Following his death, many began to refer to him as John Paul the Great, 
Pope John Paul II was beatified on May 1st, 2011 by Pope Benedict XVI and was canonized by Pope Francis on April 27th, 2014. Okay, thank you everybody for watching that video. It's a kind of a, a really good summary of the life of John Paul. Some great pictures when he was little and the role God chose for him. Now we're gonna finish with John Paul and St. Faustina and Divine Mercy. God had John Paul II play in an incredible plan for mankind. Let's look at this. All right, let's look at our next video. I just talked about a bunch of achievements, the catechism, theology of the body is encyclicals. Um, one of his best encyclicals we're gonna talk about in a minute, Deviation Misericordia, Rich in Mercy. But let's look at this slide. John Paul, Jesus, the Divine Mercy, and St. Faustina. Perhaps the greatest achievement of all those things that John Paul did was bringing to the world an awareness of St. Faustina and divine mercy. Do you know how this came about? Fascinating. Okay, as a seminarian, remember I told you he went to seminary clandestinely, like under the covers. And he would walk by St. Faustina's tomb when he was on his way to work at the quarry that I told you about. And he was like, who is this? Who's in here? Who is this? Just think how God orchestrated that. So as this young seminarian, he would, as he was going to seminary in a clandestine way in Poland during World War II, he would pass by her convent, as I said, on the way to the quarry, and he would pray in, at her tomb. Now, God orchestrated it so that he, this is how he learned about her writings and how her task was to spread divine mercy. So he started to inquire, who is this? So during his years in Krakow, actually it's called Wadgivniki, um, he was then first as a priest and then as a bishop, then as an archbishop and even a cardinal, he would go to that convent and that was a place of retreat. He would actually give retreats there. This is the convent of St. Faustina. So in the 1960s, he really got into Faustina. Nobody ever heard of her. God picked him. We wouldn't have Faustina if it wasn't for John Paul II. So Cardinal Wojtyla at the time began to inquire about Faustina and saying this woman should be recognized, especially to the honor of the altars. And he was told by the Cardinal at the time, do it now before all the witnesses die. This was God's hand behind it. Now all of a sudden the diary is banned. How many of you have written me letters saying, how dare you teach this diary is banned? I rarely address this issue, but I'm going to right now. Let's take a look at the next uh, slide. This is the diary of St. Faustina. People write all the time saying, Father, you Marians are heretical. You're following a banned book. Uh-uh. In 1959, the Vatican put a temporary hold on it. You know why? A faulty translation. Translated from the Polish into Italian by a nun... It was incorrect, and when they read it in the Italian, it said crazy things like St. Faustina said, <clears throat> I am divine mercy. <laughs> well, if Faustina said, I am divine mercy, you should ban that, because she's not. 
But this is what the translation said. So when they went back and fixed the translation in 1978, 19 years later, the ban was lifted. There is no ban. It was a halt because of a faulty translation. So, you know, the story, how this happened, several cardinals, this is where the church has been infiltrated. Several, in, several cardinals wanted to stop Faustine and the message of divine mercy. I think that's when Satan's at work. The smoke of Satan has entered the church. Now, John Paul was not Pope yet. John the 23rd was. And the story has been confirmed that John the 23rd had a stack of papers that he had to review one day and usually just sign and approve. So this one cardinal, I won't mention his name, I think at the service of Satan because he wanted to ban divine mercy, came in and snuck the request on paper to permanently ban divine mercy, permanently, and put it at the bottom of the pile with the intent, by the time John the 23rd works all the way down, he'll be so tired, he'll just say, approved, next, approved, next. That's what the thought process was. You know what John the 23rd did with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? John the 23rd sat down. It was bright in the morning. He just had his breakfast. He's ready to tackle the day. He sees the stack. Never knew that this, part, this, 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 this request to ban divine mercy forever was put on the bottom. John the 23rd looked at the stack, and he flipped it upside down. He flipped it upside down and took the first one off the top, and it said, a request to permanently ban divine mercy. He said, absolutely not. He said, go back and look at this. That's when they found the translations were faulty. It was because of John the 23rd and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Nobody knows this, so all the people were right. It's a banned book. You have to read it. Now, here's what the church said. Listen to this. The sacred congregation, okay, now this is, um, the Vatican congregation issued a notification dated April 15th, 1978. Here's what it said. This sacred congregation, having now in its possession the many original documents, which it did not have in 1959, having taken into consideration the profoundly changed circumstances, meaning now we have a correct translation, and having taken into account the opinion of many ordinaries, declares no longer binding the prohibitions contained in the notification of 1959. It wasn't even an official ban. It was a notification in 1959. Now in 1978, April 15th, it was declared null and void. There is no ban on divine mercy. So a major problem, as I said, they fixed it. So six months later, after this ban was lifted, Cardinal Wojtyla was elected Pope. Amazing. His papacy seems to have been fulfilled, right, on Faustina's prophecy. What did Faustina prophesy? She said this would happen. She said this. This is, this is amazing. Um, this is what happened. After the ban was listed, listen to Diary 378 of St. Faustina. When it appears as if everything will be shut down and lost, all come to an end, then God will act with a great power, which will give evidence of the message and devotion's authenticity. 
It will be a new splendor for the church. Basically, Faustina is saying that, that we foresaw, she foresaw that it'll look like all this work will be stopped, but it won't be so God is going to directly act. And he did with John Paul II. So this is why John Paul II pointed to his document from the year before, or I mean, sorry, shortly after, called Dives in Misericordia. Let's look at our next slide. Rich in mercy. This rich in mercy was all about divine mercy, and it clearly fueled John Paul's papacy. It was his second encyclical. In 1980, he published this, again called Rich in Mercy, Dives in Misericordia, which means um, miserable heart, divine miserable heart, mercy, rich in mercy in which he describes the mercy of God as the presence of love that is greater than evil, greater than sin, and greater than death. In it, he summons the church to plead for God's mercy on the world. Let's look what he says. Let's go to our next slide. In this recyclical, John Paul II said, right from the beginning, this is on your screen, right from the beginning, of my ministry in St. Peter's See in Rome, I considered this message my special task. Providence has assigned it to me in the present situation of man, the church, and the world. It could be said that precisely this situation assigned that messages to me as my task before God. Can you imagine? You want to know what the Marian Father's role is in this world? Our role is to follow what John Paul was given as his task before God to spread divine mercy. This is mercy, hope for the world. Let's look at his next quote, uh, or next slide. This is John Paul. John Paul and divine mercy. This is his pontificate, all right? This is powerful, all right? Where, he said... If not in divine mercy, can the world find hope? And it became the message of his pontificate. All right? He basically said, he extorted us to personally embrace this message of mercy and forgiveness. He said there is nothing that mankind needs more than divine mercy. Nothing. Nothing. Because it encompasses everything, forgiveness and reconciliation, confession and communion. That's why the two rays of Jesus on the divine mercy are blood and water. Blood and water. Water is the cleansing waters of baptism and confession. The blood is the cleansing water, or the, the food of the Eucharist, the blood of life. Amazing. He said there's nothing mankind needs more than divine mercy. That love which is benevolent, which is compassionate, and raises man above his weakness to the heights of the holiness of God. You know, his forgiveness, I said, was tested in 1981 when he was shot. Um, amazing. You know, we, we seem to forget how hard forgiveness is. John Paul went into the cell, into the jail, and forgave that guy that shot him. Um, you know, he said the reason he was made pope, this is amazing. Of all the things John Paul II didn't said, he said the reason he was made Pope was to canonize St. Faustina and institute the Feast of Divine Mercy. That's incredible. Now, both of these happened on the same day. Let's look at our next slide. You see what that's a picture of? Look at the tons of people there. 
That's Faustina's canonization. Both of those happened on April 30th, the year 2000. Because he said the reason he was made Pope was to canonize Faustina and to institute the Feast of Divine Mercy. Both happened on the same day. April 30th, 2000. John Paul II told us Marians and a doctor that it was the happiest day of his life. Wow. You know, he said in his homily, quote, it is important that we accept the whole message of mercy that comes to us on this second Sunday of Easter, from which from now on throughout the church will be called Divine Mercy Sunday. And you know, we still have priests that think it's optional. It is not optional. You know how we know this? One of our scholars, Dr. Robert Stackpole, PhD theologian, explained this to me in detail. When the Missal was translated into English, in the Missal, it says the second Sunday, or sorry, Easter Sunday is uh, Easter Sunday, and then the following Sunday, it says the second Sunday of Easter or Divine Mercy Sunday. You know what many priests in the United States take that to mean? Optional. Or, I can have an apple or an orange. I have my choice. I'm going to choose the apple, the second Sunday of Easter. I have an apple or an orange. I'm not going to choose or Divine Mercy Sunday. I don't want to mess with that. Some Polish nun. <laughs> what these priests don't understand is the Latin, is the word seau which doesn't mean or, it was mistranslated, it means namely, or that is, so the actual translation of the Missal is the second Sunday of Easter, namely Divine Mercy Sunday, it's not optional. The second Sunday of Easter, that is Divine Mercy Sunday, it's not optional. So for the priests that are teaching that it's optional and they don't have to preach that, wrong it is mandatory it was placed on the universal calendar by John Paul in one of the most extraordinary homilies John Paul repeated three times that Faustina is God's gift to our time and he said that the message of divine mercy was the, the bridge to the third millennium that's what we're in listen to what he said Sister Faustina's canonization, he's saying this now, at the canonization, has a particular eloquence. By this act, I intend today, this is as he's canonizing her, to pass this message of mercy on to the new millennium. I pass it on to all people so that they will learn to know ever better the true face of God and the true face of their brethren. In fact, love of God and love of one's brothers and sisters are inseparable. And he used divine mercy to do it. So, concerning her canonization, it's fascinating to, to, to realize that it appears that one of her prophecies was fulfilled in the diary. Okay? The canonization was celebrated in 19, uh, or in the year 2000, simultaneously in Rome and at St. Faustina's convent. Okay, so picture this, okay? So April 30th, 2000, 
John Paul is canonizing Faustina and there's this big celebration in Rome. At the same time, they had a big celebration at the convent of St. Faustina in Poland. Now listen to this. <clears throat> it was called, it's a chapel in Wagivniki. Now, at both locations, there was a large screen television set up. All right. It was set up for the simulcast with live images shared between both, between simultaneously between those celebrating in Rome and at the convent. Now, listen to what St. Faustina said back in 1937 in her diary, 1044. Listen to this. She wrote. I took part in a solemn celebration simultaneously here in Wadgivniki and in Rome. Now this is 63 years later. For the celebration was so closely connected with Rome that even as I write, I can't distinguish between the two. She's seeing it and she's all confused. She says, I have trouble, I cannot distinguish between the two, but I'm writing it down as I see it. The crowd was so enormous that the eye could not take it all in. Let's go back, I don't know, Brother Mark showed again, but the crowd on the day of St. Faustina's canonization, she saw it. She saw it, she says, it's so big, I can't even take it all in. The same celebration was held in Rome as was in her chapel, in a beautiful church, and the Holy Father with all the clergy was celebrating the Feast of Mercy. She said this in 1937. <laughs> wow! Thus Faustina wrote about what many believe was her own canonization and the institution of the Feast of Divine Mercy. And in her vision, she saw St. Peter. She saw St. Peter go up to the Holy Father and whisper in his ear, and it says that, that the Holy Father understood. And then all of a sudden he announced Divine Mercy Sunday. Wow. So it was at her canonization that he proclaimed Divine Mercy a feast and put it on the universal calendar. Now, this is amazing. It's almost like if John Paul, even if John Paul had planned to announce it that day, it's almost like St. Peter was confirming it. Now is the time of mercy. Because that's when John Paul II stood up and announced it. John Paul II said divine mercy is the most important message of our times. And he basically canonized that divine mercy message and devotion by declaring divine mercy Sunday, the second Sunday of Easter on the universal calendar. The second Sunday of Easter will now be known as divine mercy Sunday, not optional. All right. Jesus told St. Faustina that divine mercy is mankind's last hope of salvation and that she would help prepare the world for his final coming. Can you even imagine? She did that only with the help of John Paul. Jesus told her a spark would come from Poland to prepare the world for her final coming. You know what I believe? You know what many theologians believe that spark was? What is that spark that Jesus said will come from Poland to prepare the world for his final coming. Well, number one is divine mercy. What's number two? St. Faustina. What's number three? John Paul. And you know what I and several others believe number four is? The Marian fathers and our Marian helpers. Where do we come from? Poland. 
Who brought the diary to the world? The Marian fathers. St. Faustina, of course, she wrote it. John Paul II, of course, he promulgated it. Who translated it? Who a priest got on the boat and risked his life? Father Joseph Yarzhambowski, a Marian father. Who brought it here to the United States and printed it to go all over the world through the, the spreading of the Filipino women? The Marian fathers. I believe we're, a little, we're the little sliver on that spark, a little tiny, tiny part of it. But you as Marian helpers are now part of that spark by sharing this message, by praying the chaplet, by, by asking God's mercy on your loved ones, by sharing these, these videos, by sharing this message. You are part of that spark. Incredible. He said that he believed divine mercy was this special task before God, as we said, and evil, evil does not have the last word. And so my last word now <laughs> is John Paul then entrusted the world to divine mercy. Let's look at our next slide. This is a picture of the chapel just at the place St. Faustina lived, Wadgivniki. So this was another milestone. This was in August of 2002. He solemnly entrusted the world to divine mercy at the International Shrine of the Divine Mercy in Wadgivniki. This is in Poland. I was there. I celebrated mass there. You talk about surreal. And so this is where <coughs> Faustina lived and worked. So I'm going to finish with a couple quick quotes. Let's go to our next slide. John Paul II said, today, he was at the shrine, right? He consecrated the world to divine mercy. He said, today, I repeat these simple and straightforward words of St. Faustina. You can see this on your screen. In order to join her and all of you, even us, 20 years later, to enjoin her and all of you in adoring the inconceivable and unfathomable mystery of God's mercy. Like St. Faustina, we wish to proclaim that apart from the mercy of God, there is no hope for mankind. We desire to repeat with faith, Jesus, I trust in you. His next slide, let's read what he says here. Today, therefore, in this shrine, I will solemnly entrust the world to divine mercy. I think that's why we're still alive. I think that's why God has not crushed us. People can say, well, Father Chris, the world's still in a mess. Of course it is. Can you imagine the mess it would be in if we got what we deserved? We wouldn't even be here anymore. The fact that we're still alive is mercy. I will solemnly entrust the world to divine mercy. I do so with the burning desire that the message of God's merciful love proclaimed here through St. Faustina may be made known to all the peoples of the earth and fill their hearts with hope. May this message radiate from this place to our beloved homeland and throughout the world. May the binding promise of the Lord Jesus be fulfilled from here. There must go forth the spark which will prepare the world for his final coming. Wow. Last half a sheet. Amazing. Then he went on to say, final quote, this spark needs to be lighted by the grace of God. This fire of mercy needs to be passed on to the world. That's why when I was sitting in seminary class going, this has got to be taught to the world. This is why I said, I, I, when I started this Explaining the Faith series, I said, the point is to take you back to seminary. 
He says, the fire of mercy needs to be passed out of the world. In the mercy of God, the world will find peace and mankind will find happiness. I entrust this task to you, brothers and sisters, to the church in Krakow and Poland and to all the devotees of divine mercy who will come here from Poland and from throughout the world. May you be witnesses to mercy. And you are by just watching this. That spark right now came from Poland. It's being inflamed by the Filipinos. Spread all over the world. All we have to do is receive it. So lastly, I finish with his death. John Paul II died. Let's look at the next slide. And there he is laying in rest. He died on April the 2nd. 2005, and I want to briefly tell the story that he told us, Cardinal Jeevich told us when he was here at the shrine. He basically said this, John Paul was getting very ill as Divine Mercy Sunday 2005 was coming. And so Divine Mercy 2005 was approaching and Pope John Paul's getting sicker and sicker. Now all of a sudden it's the Saturday before he goes to confession, right? Ha ha, the first request of our Lord, goes to confession. But he had already celebrated morning mass, and it wasn't the mass for the Feast of Divine Mercy. It was the morning Saturday mass. Now, if it's after 4 o'clock, and you do the vigil mass, that is the mass of Divine Mercy Sunday, even though it's, it's, it's on Saturday, because that's why we have a vigil mass. If you go to mass at like 5.30 at your church, it's a Sunday mass. So Cardinal Jeevich was not planning on celebrating Mass, and John Paul's getting weaker and weaker, and Cardinal Jeevich told us that he felt the, the Holy Spirit say, by now it's like 5 o'clock, and, and he felt the Holy Spirit saying, celebrate Mass with John Paul, all right? And he ignored it, because they're getting ready to celebrate Mass for Divine Mercy Sunday the next morning. John Paul already had his homily and everything written. So all of a sudden... He goes about his business about another hour later. Cardinal Jeeves says he has this big voice on his heart, celebrate Mass for Divine Mercy Sunday with John Paul. He ignored it a second time. Then a third time. Now it's like 8 o'clock at night. Now we're here on the vigil of Divine Mercy Sunday, so it is Divine Mercy Sunday. And guess where it was Divine Mercy Sunday? In the Philippines. So by now it's 8 o'clock, 8 o'clock at night, and finally, the third time the Holy Spirit says, celebrate the Mass for Divine Mercy Sunday with John Paul. He said, that's it. So could you imagine a cardinal rummaging through the sacristy looking for the chasuble, or the, you know, getting his chasubles, his albs, getting the chalice and the ciborium and the purificator and the corporal and the cruets, and he gets them all together, and they celebrate Mass for Divine Mercy Sunday, 2005. John Paul, who had been to confession that morning, now receives Holy Communion for Divine Mercy Sunday and died within the hour. Is that not God's grace? He died at 9.37 p.m. As I said, it was already Divine Mercy Sunday. 
I mean, he passed away within an hour receiving Holy Communion. It basically means John Paul II died with all the graces of Jesus' extraordinary promise. And if you want to know and you don't know what the, the promise was, I have a, 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 a talk in detail on this YouTube channel on Facebook called Divine Mercy Sunday. And, and you could type it into YouTube. And so anyway, this was complete an utter miracle because he was given the same grace he had taught for decades. Right? The complete forgiveness of not only all sin, but all punishment. Amazing. By going to confession, he did that earlier in the day. And by receiving Holy Communion, he did that just before dying. Wow. Now remember, you don't have to go on that day. St. Faustina actually went to confession the Saturday before, the week before, as long as you're in a state of grace. But he did. He got his slate wiped entirely clean. Basically, he was ready for heaven, and we can be too. On Divine Mercy Sunday, this is the grace that he gave his life for you to hear. Whether you hear it through your pastor, whether you hear it through reading the diary, whether you hear it from this video right here. This was the gift. It seems God rewarded him for everything he did as one of the most incredible popes in history. And, you know, I'm going to finish by saying, you know, he had a homily prepared for the next day. Did you know this? I'm going to read you one line from it. Because he had this homily prepared to be read the next day, April 3rd, 2005, but he had died. One line I want to read you. As a gift to humanity. This was his written homily which sometimes seems bewildered and overwhelmed by the power of evil, selfishness, and fear. The risen Lord offers his love that pardons, reconciles, and reopens hearts to love. It is a love that converts hearts and gives peace. How much the world needs to understand and accept divine mercy. And so the slide that... We finish with the last quote. Lord, you who reveal the Father's love. This is John Paul talking to God. You who reveal the Father's love by your death and resurrection, we believe in you and confidently repeat to you today, Jesus, I trust in you. Have mercy upon us and upon the whole world. Amen. That's the prayers of the chaplet. That's amazing. Be not afraid. His first words of his papacy, Jesus, I trust in you, the last words of his papacy. Wow. That's why we see on the screen, Pope John Paul's feast day is today. Is today. October 22nd. Why? It was not his birth. It was not his death. His feast day is October 22nd because today, 44 years ago, he was installed pope. He was elected on the 16th of October, installed on the 22nd. Today is the feast day of John Paul. October the 22nd, for 44 years ago, he was installed pope. And if you want to ask for his intercession, go right out in front of the shrine. This is a picture Brother Mark took. If you haven't seen this picture, incredible. And the statue is right out front. This is a statue right in front of the shrine. Look at that picture Brother Mark took. It almost looks like a painting. It's so surreal.
It's so beautiful. That's the intercessor that we have for us. That's our statue at the shrine here that you can come and pray for his intercession. So the moral to this story, ask for God's mercy. Ask for the intercession of St. Faustina and St. John Paul II. Stick with us, Marian fathers, because we have been appointed as the caretakers of divine mercy. Be a Marian helper if Brother Mark can show. It doesn't cost anything. I am not putting this up there for donations, even though I always say yes, we still have to keep the lights on and the videos going. We still have to pay the staff to be able to produce this stuff. But I'm not concerned about that. Now, God will provide, yes, and if you're able to help with our ministry, God bless you, but that's not why I'm putting this slide up there. MICprayers.org is for you to be a Marian helper because by decree of the Holy See, when you are a Marian helper, we are a spiritual benefit society, and you receive by decree of the Holy See, if your heart is open to it, all the graces of our prayers, masses, penances, rosaries, just like you were a Marian priest or brother. That's a great deal. I and all of Marian priests and brothers had to give up everything to come do this. You don't. You can simply come in, become a Marian helper, and share in these same graces we get. It's just like Jesus remembering the scripture, the guy that worked all day, and then the guy that came at the last hour got the same pay. <laughs> <laughs> you can show up at the last hour and get the same pay. Now, we're not talking money. We're talking grace. <clears throat> I don't care if you ever donate a dollar. Just get these graces. My task before God is to get you to heaven. That is why I was a priest, and I know I am a priest. I know no other greater way than the grace of the mass, prayers, penances, and the sacraments. And you can share in this. You have to go to the sacraments in reality. We can't replace going to communion or confession. You got you to do that. But all the graces that we merit, you can share in. Incredible. And if none of this makes any sense, you can get the book called Understanding Divine Mercy. And I'm going to do the same thing here. This book I wrote so that you could understand divine mercy. It's available on shopmercy.org or call us at 800-462-7426, or Peter. Peter's here in the office today. You can call him, 413-298-1303. Now, here's the thing, everybody. If you can help support our ministry by ordering it on Shop Mercy, God bless you. If you can't, and you say, Father, I can't afford it, I will send you a free copy. That is how much I want this message out there. This is how much I want you to follow divine mercy to get you to heaven. And if you can't afford that book, call Peter right now. Tell him, and I will send it to you for free. That's how much we need to get this message of mercy. God bless all of you. And thank you for being apostles of divine mercy. The Lord be with you. And through the intercession of John Paul II, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go in peace. The talk is ended. Thanks be to God. Thank you, everybody. God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world.
Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily Masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.